This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hello, we are off the ball with myself, Cam Ruslan, and right now we have two pundits. Uh, one is Arvind Sidhu. Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. Good to have you. And uh, Kishnan Sundaresan. Hello, everyone. What a weekend of football, huh? I mean, yeah, what a weekend. And, and hopefully, we're going to be joined by Nicholas Anil. Let's see what happens there. But Kishnan, such a professional, he's joined us. He's in a car park in his car right now. <laughs> we, uh, as Kish said, it's uh, been one hell of a weekend of football. Some really big surprises. But let's start with the most anticipated match and the most important match which uh, saw Manchester City 2, Liverpool 2. Honours even, Liverpool would have wanted the victory. I guess we're just where we started. But I thought, uh, Keish, if I start with you, I thought both teams played as well as they possibly could. Oh, Cam, you're absolutely right. It was an incredible game of football. And make no mistakes, the last time both sides played each other, which was, I think, about six months ago in the league as well, I remember that being an incredible game of football as well. And and, and the, the sense of anticipation uh, that existed in the build-up to this game, I was a little bit worried that we might get a bit of a downer only because this time around, there's a lot more at stake, right? Both teams are fighting it out for the league. Um, you know, Liverpool are looking for the quadruple. City are still in for the treble. So when you've got a lot at stake, sometimes teams can be a bit cagey in these sort of games, right? But what we got was was nothing but cagey. Was, was nothing was not even cagey at all. It was just relentless end-to-end stuff. It was like a game of basketball where it was just on one end of the pitch in, in, in at one point and then within a split second, it's in the opposite end of the pitch. And um, it, it was a terrific game of football game. I, I, th- there's a lot that I can say and I'm trying to restrain myself a little bit more. I'm just going to, at this point, just say that it was one of the best games of football we've got this season. Possibly one of the best in the last 10 years, even. That's, uh, that's uh, okay. Uh, Arvind, do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it, these two teams really set the benchmark, right? They're the benchmark. They're the standard. Uh, I think at one point, uh, Peter Drury said that, welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Um, that was, uh, for me, that was a very, very, um, very optimal yeah. way of saying it because we all got pleasure from watching that type of football. I mean, some of the passing, Cam, when you look at that, I mean, look at, we're looking at you, Kevin De Bruyne, was just out of this world. And some of the touches, we're looking at you, Sadio Mane, was just sublime. There was no play acting. There was no time wasting. There was no negative football. It was just two teams showing the rest of the league why at this moment in time, and they have been for a while, they are on a different planet compared to everyone else. So for me, I think if you wanted to introduce someone to football, you play this game and you show it to them. And you probably will get them into the game. So for me, I thoroughly enjoyed this game. Uh, Nicholas Anil has just joined us. And uh, just to bring you up to speed, Nicholas, we're talking about Manchester City 2 and uh, Liverpool 2. We're, we're all saying what a great match it was. And also that Liverpool were really pushing this. They had to win this one. And they, they did not get sliced apart, which is what I was expecting. Yeah, I just want to echo what Irene uh, said, said that I caught him in the last few bits. Um, this was a great advertisement for the Premier League now, wasn't it? You know, um, And especially these two teams. If you look at, at, at big teams in the past, when, when United played City or when United played Arsenal, you know, they were always more often than not KG affairs. But you had the feeling that this game was going to be something else, that there was going to be goals in it, there was going to be 
action. There was going to be saves. And it provided exactly that. Um, back to your point. Yes, you know, I think the only thing that we can perhaps fault Liverpool off was their culpability at playing the high line, which almost did not pay off when uh, Raheem Sterling was, uh, you know, caught marginally offside. But apart from that, entertainment value-wise, it was really of the highest quality. And um, I think City would feel slightly aggrieved that they did not clinch it at the end. Riyad Mahrez had two opportunities, one which struck the bar and the other one, you know, which he came mightily close. Um, but, um, you know, um, on the back of that 90 minutes, it's probably a fair result uh, for both teams, especially uh, given the context of, of how this race is shaping up. Nobody's going to dare to put their money on the line and, and call the winner at, at all. You know, we've got seven games to go. On paper, City may have slight advantage because uh, apart from uh, Wolves, I think they played uh, the well, six teams at the bottom, uh, while Liverpool have a clash against uh, United, I think, next. So, uh, But it's, it's going to be a very tough one. For, uh, but it, uh, for the neutrals, it's, it's simply amazing. You know, From now till the end of May, we're just going to be watching both these heavyweights go blow for blow. Yeah, what a great match. And uh, Kish, one extreme to the other, the next match, <laughs> uh, Manchester United turned up, at, or did they? Everton won Manchester United nil. Everton really needed these points, and very unexpectedly, I think, won it. But I was watching, and it's like, uh, is, is that, are they Manchester United? Are they, who are they? What are they doing? Um, can I plead the Fifth Amendment? Or something? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not really something I'd like to dive into. I mean, you see, the, when we have conversations about Man United, it's, it's, it's borderline exhaustion at this point, Cam. Because we go back to the same things over and over again. And a lot of it is, remains unaddressed. A lot of it remains the similar problems that existed um, a few months ago, that existed. Um, even a year ago, uh, it, it's the same problems all over again. Um, I, the one thing I will want to talk about in this game, though, is the I felt the unnecessary slander that Harry Maguire got for that own goal because it was not and it was not a. There's a there's a lot of things you can say about Harry Maguire, but I feel that the discourse, the narrative around him, has been borderline disrespectful at times. I know he's not having the best of his season. But it's the, the, the discourse around him is does not take into context the incredible performances he put for England at the Euros. Does not take into consideration of how defensively stable he has been for Man United in the last two seasons prior to this. Uh, but this season he's had he's had his rough patches here and there. But that goal that Everton scored that's not his fault. It's it's a deflection. It happens. Um, but you you wouldn't think that's the case if you were to monitor the discourse on social media. If you were to read the tweets that were going around the game uh, during the match and even after the match, it was almost as if Maguire had 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 you know committed like a major major error that entirely screwed things up for Man United. The reality was it was a deflected goal and it went in. That's the only thing that I want to point out that I feel is worth pointing out because otherwise, a lot of the fundamental problems for Man United that were glaring in that game are not new. These are mm. issues that we've spoken about. These are issues that we've we've discussed about in the past and. At this point in time, I, I, I'm pretty sure I speak for most Man United fans when we say that we just want the season to end so that there can be a proper new page with a new manager who will hopefully be given the keys to dictate how this team is constructed and how the rebuild is done moving here onwards. Poor Kish. 
I feel so sorry. Each week turning to Keishan, what, what can the man say? Hey, Arvin, let's, uh, let's say a little bit about Everton. They were okay, but these points are massive. And I would say the key player, I think Jordan Pickford is proving he's actually, he really is and should be England's number one. I mean, it's a huge win. Let's not take anything away from them. After losing to Burnley in midweek and after hearing the comments that Sean Dyche had told his team at halftime that this Everton team doesn't know how to win, it was vitally, vitally important that they get something out of this game. And they did. They were on a seven-game losing streak before this. Um, a lot of pundits said certain relegation, which might still happen, but they've given themselves a good buffer now because of what's happened with Burnley over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Anthony Gordon, they've got someone that, that will fight. They've, they've got someone that shows desire. They've got someone that shows shows the commitment on the pitch. On the other side of it, I, I'm, I'm really not sure what else to add when it comes comes to Man United. I, I agree that I think the slander that Harry Maguire has gotten, it's come to a point where it's no longer funny. It, it just has to stop because it, it's just constant targeting. And you have to think of the player's well-being, his mental welfare. You have to think of a bigger picture. This is someone who's got a huge spotlight on on him and he's getting this week in, week out. There, there, are, there are musical themes on him on TikTok, which is just not funny. So for me, I, I, I think that has to stop. Um, but I mean, we don't have to agree on everything. I still don't agree with Kish. I think the, the, the whole Ralph Rangney thing is a failure for me because I don't see an identity with this team. He's not improved them. So for me, they, they, they want the season to end because someone has to come in and sort this mess out. But it's a mess that's, that's just constantly, constantly increasing. And let's not forget, Everton played in midweek. And, and they still showed up and United didn't. So, yeah, big problems for United. Um, but Everton have given themselves a good chance now. I mean, have they saved themselves? Uh, no, I don't think that they are. Yeah, there's still a lot of twists and turns to come. But okay. at least they've, they've stopped the rot that was happening. So that's very important for them. Yeah, okay. They've got, a, they've got a really difficult run of fixtures coming yeah. up. Yeah. So uh, I think they're playing a lot of the big teams. I think Chelsea, Leicester... A bunch of them are in there, so Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool I, I would love to do a number on Liverpool them as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's not. It's definitely not done and dusted yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, watch this space with Everton. Maybe not watch this space with Manchester United. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in a moment, we carry on with Premier League action here on Off the Ball BFM eighty nine point nine. Captain, leader, legend. Off the ball on BFM eighty nine point nine. It's on the ball, BFM, off the ball, sorry. It's off the ball, BFM 89.9. We continue the uh, look at the Premier League season. I want to jump from some of the top of the table or the fourth spot Champions League spaces to let's let's go down to the bottom of the table and see what happened here. Um, Nicholas, your team, Leeds United, had a very uh, solid win there. Watford nil, Leeds three. Watford, I mean, you know, Doomed now, surely. Uh, Leeds uh, and and Leeds are surely now safe, uh, even though they've played two extra games. They um, they're looking good. And, and can you explain the difference since Bielsa left? Yeah, I think um, a, a lot of the a lot of the factor uh, in the upturns of Leeds's fortune. Uh, we, we we would have to give it to Jesse March, you know, um, to to come into a new league. You know, um, he was already facing a lot of cloud of uncertainty you know um, Americans are usually not not um, uh, not the most favorite uh, you know um, managers to come come into the high intensity uh, that the Premier League uh, you know uh, is producing we can out so when Jesse March was appointed I think there was a lot of uh, question marks uh, surrounding his credibility 
Uh, but credit to the man, you know, uh, he's, he's came in, he's restored the belief of the players. Uh, he's been helped um, with the return of a lot of pivotal key players. And that has really, really helped Elites um, to get <clears throat> three wins, um, you know, on the trot. Um, it's, it's not a mean feat, um, but he's achieved it um, with such grace. You know, he's always had positive things to say. Uh, some of his man management, uh, with some of the players uh, individually and together as a group uh, has been magnificent. Um, and, and in the evidence of, of this, this victory, you know, um, this was uh, supposed to be uh, neck for neck, uh, really close encounter. But um, credit leads, you know, they were by far the superior team. Uh, didn't offer Watford much chances to play, um, got the goals. Uh, they were really some solid goals. Um, and, you know, the return of the likes of Calvin Phillips, Leon Cooper, you know, pivotal players, even from the championship days, has really solidified Leeds United. And I think uh, the impetus is now for them to just go on and, and cement the status in, in, the, champ- in, in the Premier League. Uh, because uh, if you look at, at Burnley and Everton, you know, they're, they're still struggling. They've got a lot of tough matches, which they're going to um, struggle to get through. Um, and, you know, the, the advantage is on Leeds to, to go on and, and really secure the place. So, you know, really credit to, to Jesse March and the work that he's done. It's not easy to come in and, and change the fortunes of the team in such a short span of time, but, but he's achieved it. Uh, Arvin, Leeds is your team too, and you must be very happy. But if you could, I mean, you could, would you have Bielsa there still? Or is Jesse Marsh the, the, the man to take them forward? It's a tough question. I, I believe the way Leeds were going um, with the defensive issues that they were having and conceding that many goals, it's very hard to keep a manager like that. Yes, there were a lot of other factors like losing key players. And, and Liam Cooper is such an important part of that backline. While he's not the best of defenders, he's not the most skillful of defenders, but he organizes things in a way that not many other defenders in the Leeds backline can do. So for me, I still feel that the returning players would have helped Bielsa, but I mean, that's hindsight. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. But now when we look at what he's done now, I mean, the first clean sheet since November, since November that, that's crucial for Leeds. They, they've been leaking in goals. He's been able to solidify things. The man-marking style has gone out the window. But when you look at this game, and, and, you, and Nick was right, Ilan Melia was rarely troubled at all. But when you look at the front three that Leeds have versus the front three that Watford have, when you look at Rodrigo, Rafina, you look at Jack Harrison, and on the other side, you've got Jared Kuka and uh, Chico Hernandez. You can see the difference in quality. And that's what got Leeds through. The finishes were brilliant. Watford had chances, but they didn't, didn't, they didn't get them on target. A better upfront would have helped Watford this season, I honestly believe, but now it's looking tough for them. But Leeds, a couple more points. They're safe, and surprisingly enough, they're four points away from a top 10 finish. And who would have said that a couple of months ago? So Are they? Hang on. Have I... Uh, uh, my math says, oh, you're right. My goodness, they're actually <laughs> they're doing better than I imagined. Uh, Keish, I'm, gonna, I'm always giving you the best matches here. Um, I'm going to give you now an opportunity to talk about Norwich 2, Burnley 0. Actually, this to me was an absolute shock. Norwich have not shown I, I, I mean, the disability. And I was thinking that uh, Sean Dyche was getting Burnley into some kind of rhythm here. But they, you know, they Bernie had a chance, and I think they're now cementing their place in the in the bottom three. Um, I, I, okay, I, I still think it's not over yet. I think in the remaining eight games, things can change. Everton can lose a bunch of games. Burnley can win. Although I was genuinely surprised by the way Burnley played against Norwich. Um, I watched. Um, I, I stayed up for that game between Everton and Burnley in midweek, um, and it was it was insane. It was incredible. It was end to end stuff. Uh, 
both teams. It, it looked like a proper relegation scrap, right? It's survival of the fittest, and that's what you saw on the pitch. And that and that level of desire and and ability to fight that we got from Burnley in that game against Everton, we didn't get that against Norwich. And I and, and I'm saying to, like I'm looking at the game and I'm wondering to myself, is this a case of Burnley having emotionally exhausted themselves in that Everton game because they had to really push. They had to really push in that one to get that goal. And you could see emotionally as well what it meant to them right at the end of that game against Everton, right? To get that win at home. Um, and, I, and I was wondering if they were still riding on that high, if emotionally they, 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 they were, you know, spent a little bit too much because they didn't look like they were able to, to break through this Norwich side. It's not like they didn't have chances. I think they had a total of 18 shots in that game, maybe Burnley. But they rarely ever looked like they were going to, you know, win that game. I think... Corne had like a chance or two, but beyond that, you, you you didn't see the sort of conviction you saw in midweek. Uh, but I have no doubts that um, it, it's a defeat that Sean Dyche and his side will process very quickly. Um, and and between now and end of the season, there's still about seven or eight games, and I've I've no doubt that Burnley still have the capacity to stay up in the Premier League. Um, well, we're getting into that uh, mathematically possible. Uh, stage of the season. <laughs> Nicholas, uh, you know, Burnley have not just survived but prospered in their in their years in the few last few years in the Premier League. It looked for a while that like they had the answer the the to how to how to stay in the Premier League on a short budget. But um I think that uh, we're seeing the the um the end of those possibilities. Uh, uh, Norwich for sure. Uh, I mean that mathematical possibilities aside that despite this win, surely cannot possibly survive. I, I watched a bit of this match and um, it, it didn't seem like a relegation dogfight to me. You know, Norwich seemed like a, like a side almost confined uh, to, to a team that, you know, um, that may be playing in the championship next season. And, and so they decided we're going to go out and we're going to play without any pressure at all. And that's exactly what they did. Um, and you could see the, the, the fluidity, the flow of the game, you know, the chances that Norwich were creating. You know, Pookie had a couple of chances before he eventually scored. Um, you know, um, uh, Norwich going through the wing, slicing Burnley almost at will. And uh, Burnley, on the other hand, you know, um, it, it seemed like that victory over Everton had, had, that, that confidence from that victory had totally dissipated. And they were a completely different side uh, playing this uh, Norwich. And to lose a relegation scrap like this, you know, especially uh, right after winning against a fellow relegation candidate is is something that is not only peculiar, but it also sort of deflates the entire team. Um, and if you look at Burnley's track uh, record in the last couple of weeks, uh, they had also lost a very crucial relegation scrap against Brentford a couple of weeks ago. And in that game, I remember uh, when it was tied at, at nil-nil, Kone missed a glorious opportunity, you know, to give um, Burnley the lead. And and it was the same case here. You know, he had a magnificent opportunity uh, to equalize uh, as soon as Norwich got. And he missed it. He missed an absolute sitter. And it's opportunities like this that cannot go begging when you're, when you're fighting at, at the bottom. And, you know, ultimately, they, they, they ended up deserved losers. So I think Burnley have just lost their way uh, recently. If you look at their their record in the first two months of this year, in, in January and February, they drew against Arsenal, they, they drew against United, you know, but when it came to March, suddenly, you know, they just gone off the boil, lost five games out of six, and 
when you're at this crucial stage of the season, this kind of form is just not uh, Premier League form. Uh, looks like it. But uh, Arvin, um, meanwhile, though, Brentford, they are on 36 points, which must be safety, uh, without a doubt. 35, I guess, would be safety. And they they look like... I feel like they've found the key to survival for uh, a newly promoted team. Brentford is quite a big club, actually. Um, and they probably got the money to be able to spend and survive. I think that Brentford might be here to stay. Done really well. I mean... I mean so I, I didn't say the scoreline, by the way. They, <laughs> the scoreline was that uh, they beat West Ham, the mighty West Ham, 2-0. Yeah. Um, they're gliding their way to Premier League safety. I think a couple more points, maybe another draw or two, and they're there. Uh, but it was a complete performance for a second week running. Let's not take away when they went away and they completely outplayed uh, Chelsea last week and then to come back and to, to win against West Ham. These are London derbies, London derbies that will mean a lot to them and their fans as well. This was East versus West, uh, literally. But the upturn in form that they've had is that while we've kind of praised uh, Antonio Conte for getting the transfer window right in January, which he has, Thomas Frank in getting Christian Eriksen in has proven mm. to be an absolute mm. masterstroke because right now they've got wins in a row. He's helping them assist. Every time he's on the ball, you expect something to happen. And you can tell that he's a level above the rest of the Brentford players. Granted, he might not be there for the long term. It's a deal till the end of the season, but it benefits everyone. It benefits because Brentford stay in the Premier League. And for him, it's a window for him to kind of go back to that level that we've seen him at at Spurs and Inter Milan. So for me, Brentford have been great. Um, Ivan Toni, again, I thought was fantastic on the weekend. And Brian and Bomo really showed how a partnership should look like. Assist goal, assist goal. So for me, that really was, was, was well. But they went up against a West Ham who was, who was wary. A West Ham who was in Europa League, who are fighting Leon in the middle of the week. A West Ham that looked like they know that top four is out of question. Even top six might be a challenge. So they are focused. They're going to be in the Europa League, but it's tough. Leon's not going to be an easy place to go to. They have to go to France to try and, to try and win that one. So um, yeah, Brentford, great. Great first season back. But always, like Leeds found out, the sophomore season is always the tougher than the first one. Europa League always seems to break teams uh as they progress it, it it doesn't do any favors well so we'll see what happens there um but we're going to move on to more top of the league um action in a moment when we return here on off the ball bfm 89.9 because whilst he's there it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them he's that good off the ball on bfm 89.9 and we're back on Off the Ball with myself, Cam Ruslan, Kishan and Sundaresan, Nicholas Anil, and Arvin Sidhu. And now, Kish, uh, we go back to the top of the table, the fight, and it really is a fight for um, fourth spot. It was looking briefly, I think, like it could have been third and fourth, but as we'll find out a little bit later, I think third's out of the question. But Arsenal, they've been doing very well recently, but came a cropper against Brighton, who are really playing for nothing. And I watched it, and, and Arsenal... It looked like Brighton were Arsenal, and Arsenal were, I don't know who they were. Arsenal won Brighton too. Kishnan, what, what is going on with the process? Yeah, I was, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine called Ellie, who's, an, who's, an, who's a massive mm-hmm. Arsenal fan, and we, and we were just talking about the reality of the situation. The, the level of, the level of um, you know, hurt and the level of how upset Arsenal fans are at the moment is a lot more relative to their results and performances in the last maybe two months as opposed to 
what the entire goal for the season was. Because ultimately, earlier this season, the goal was to always aim to get back to Europe first and foremost. Uh, it was always going to be unreasonable to expect an immediate jump back into the Champions League. Uh, it was always going to be, you start with the Europa League, you lay on the foundations, you build on those foundations, and season in, season on, you can get better. But obviously, Arsenal have looked great in the last two, two months. Some incredible results uh, that saw them you know, position themselves as one of the favourites for the top four spot, especially with Man United struggles, right? And there was this expectation now that Arsenal, whoa, top four is the one that we should be aiming for. And I understand it. I understand it. it Arsenal fans missed the Champions League. It's been a while. And the last two games have not helped because they've, they've lacked ideas. They've, they've looked like uh, they were slightly sluggish on the pitch. Um, getting opportunities and scoring goals were a bit of a problem. But my main concern about this Arsenal side is that they are so, they're still somewhat very dependent on certain, certain individuals that when those individuals are either injured or slightly off form, they suffer. A very clear example is Kieran Tierney, right? Kieran Tierney has been monumental for Arsenal at left back, uh, but he hasn't been there. Yeah, and he, in his injury, they've struggled to replace him. Nuno Tavares looked, you know, disastrous uh, last week, and then they, uh, Mikel Arteta dropped him and played Granit Xhaka there instead this time around. And Granit Xhaka didn't exactly look the most comfortable. I mean, he's a utility player, but he didn't look comfortable. And so this Arsenal team lacked balance. Football is not a game where you can just pluck and dump plays in certain position and expect the team to be fully functional as usual. Sometimes they don't work that way. And Arsenal looked like that. They didn't look like a team that was balanced on that day against Brighton, except in the last 15 minutes when they kicked into gear and they looked good. But otherwise, it was uh, a frustrating performance. Having said that, I'll sum it up by saying there's no need for, for a panic button yet. There's still very good work being done at Arsenal at the moment by Mikel Arteta. Um, and whatever the outcome of this season is, they will only build on from this and get better uh, next season and with the summer transfer window as well. Well, okay. Well, Nicholas, I want to I pursue something that uh, Keish was talking about there, about individual players for Arsenal. And this is an Arsenal team where I don't, really, I don't personally see any of those great individuals that I'm used to coming out of Arsenal, that perhaps does a team perhaps need some larger-than-life character, somebody like a Thierry Henry who can, who can dazzle and, uh, or take the game by the scruff of the neck and not just be part of the process, part of the machine. It, it seems like a rather flavorless, characterless bunch of players. Yeah, but um, in patches, you know, um, Arsenal have shown that they are not solely dependent on any particular player to, to shine, you know. Um, if you were to look at maybe the past two seasons, then, of course, Abu Mayang would be, would be the star name. But, you know, you take him out of the equation and you see how well that this team has functioned. You know, Arteta have turned them into such a solid uh, a team unit rather than, you know, a, a player, a specific player unit. Of course, having said that, you have a lot of players that have... They have shown more than others. You know, you're talking about Bukayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, Martin Odegaard has been phenomenal as well. You know, so these are some of the players that, that, that you look to to inspire the team. And, and between now and end of the season, I think these are the players that, that would play an extremely crucial role. Thomas Partey as well. Whenever he's in that side, you know, Arsenal have a little bit more dimension. They have a little bit more trust moving forward. And you take these players out of the equation, sometimes uh, their performance can be flat, you know, um, in evidence of, of, of this result. So, so I think it's more of a, of a motivation factor rather than, than Arsenal losing their way. You know, they just need to be inspired and they need to get some belief 
give back that you know they are capable of putting uh, another decent run of results and trying to reclaim that top spot once again. Arvind, let's go across to another team from North London. Aston Villa nil Spurs 4. What I thought was the the Spurs law of physics was that if they win one game by five, they're going to lose the next by 4-0. And amazingly, they won by 4-0. And they were magnificent. And Kane was not amongst the scorers. And is this Antonio Conte's Spurs, finally? And are we looking at what we're going to be watching next season? Yeah, I think it's slowly developing into that. Uh, the scoreline will suggest complete dominance from Spurs, but a sign of a really good team is winning without playing especially well throughout the game. And there were times in that game where actually Villa took the game to Spurs. They just couldn't They just couldn't finish it off. But Conte is developing this Spurs side into a really, really top one right now. I mean, when you look at, obviously, Son Heung-min will take the, the plaudits for for the hat-trick. And he should, because he's, for me, been one of the players of the season so far. But it's the second week in a row that they've romped to a four-goal win. Um, when you look at the players on the pitch on the day itself, Christian Romero, for me, another commanding display at the back. When he came, Christian Romero, there were a little bit of uncertainty. But this was Serie A's best defender with Atalanta, and he's come in now. And under the guidance of Conte, he's an absolute rock at the back. Harry Kane, exceptional playmaking. I mean, he doesn't need to score. Just with He, he can actually just provide assists now with his head even. So for me, this is really developing into something. And we knew it would because Conte is a serial winner. The only thing Spurs have to worry about is, like I keep saying, at the end of the season, will Spurs do something that's very different for the last 10, 15 years? Will they let the the purse strings go? Will they let Conte do what he needs? Because you know he requires a lot of money, but he's a proven winner. So I hope for Spurs fans that, they, that the board matches the ambition of Conte because if you do, they will finally win that, that trophy that's eluded them for so long. And with fans currently making fun that the last trophy that they won was an Audi preseason trophy. So for me, it's all about what happens this summer and, and it's going to make for intriguing watching, to be honest. Well, Spurs winning a trophy, when you said that, it was like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> it's just, it just never, I, I can't imagine it. Um, maybe the League Cup. The uh, quiche. Let's take on Spurs from and the future. The um, Harry Kane is—he's just not going to be there next season. He, I don't suppose. And so, whatever they're building now, they're not going to have their. What is he now? He's he's Andre Perlo, is he? A uh, playmaker in the back. It's uh, Kane is a strange guy, but it's, you know he doesn't need to be the striker. Son was just magnificent. I thought his finishing. But can you be without Kane? I, I actually slightly disagree, Cam. I think there's a very strong chance he's going to be there next season oh. uh, for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I think with Erling Haaland on the market, Man City will be out of the equation. I think Haaland is most likely going to Man City. And it's it's most of the reports are reporting that. And I can't see Man City going for a player that is you know moving towards his 30 as opposed to signing a player who is in his early 20s and has all the time in the world uh, to, to become one of the greatest strikers uh, modern football has ever produced. And, and and the second reason is you take City out of the equation, I like I don't imagine any other teams. I mean, uh, there's talks of Man United, but I'm not sure if Man United are willing to spend that amount of money on a 28, 29-year-old. I'm, I can't think of any other clubs who would be willing to do so as well. Mbappe is obviously more Real Madrid-centric. I think Kane will stay, even more so because he's starting to build a really good relationship with Antonio Conte. And and let, let's be honest, when it comes to Harry Kane, 
it's never been about disrespecting Spurs. It's never been about him wanting to leave Spurs because Spurs was a small club. No, Spurs is the club that he passionately adores. It's always been about wanting to compete for the biggest trophies in football, about wanting to compete in the biggest tournaments in world football. And the, the problem that Hurricane has always had at Spurs is that uh, they, they haven't been able to do that. Right, The last time they did that was under Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, but ever since Poch left, they haven't been able to do that. With Mourinho, no. With Nuno Espirito Santo, no. But... Antonio Conte is a world-class manager. And that appointment, I, I, when it was announced, I felt that this appointment was not just for Spurs, but it was also a reminder directly from Daniel Levy towards Harry Kane that, hey, we have got ambitions, that we do want to match your ambitions in this football club. And I think Harry Kane will stay. And, 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 and next season, with a fully committed Harry Kane, with Son Heung-min looking like he's back to his best, with Dejan Kolosevsky being an incredible player that adds balance to that front three. Um, you put in a couple more additions, especially at centre-back, probably a bit more in midfield and the full-back positions. This first side could be a real, real cause for concern for most of the teams in the Premier League next season. Well, I, I, Spurs are going to win the league next season. I, I, I didn't think I was going <laughs> to... <laughs> this appears to be the consensus here uh, off the ball. Okay. Uh, but I'm in a state of shock. We're going to move on to the next uh, match, which was Southampton nil, Chelsea 6. Um, Chelsea have been having a bit of a blip recently, uh, letting in goals, but uh, they came back very very emphatically here against a team, Southampton, that didn't, isn't really having much to play for. But, uh, Nicholas, uh, what, did we, what did we learn that, that, I mean, you know, this is a... Chelsea that hasn't really been turning up the last few weeks? Yeah, they, they, they looked like they were back to their usual best. Um, it was it was um, two consecutive losses that was um, that, that definitely would have been very, very difficult to digest. You know, you're talking about uh, a hammering at, at, at Brentford um, and then after that, you know, to play at home and get um, humiliated, uh, so to speak, uh, by Real Madrid. Um, and so this was a fixture that you know, I think they, they would have welcomed to play a Southampton side that is uh, not necessarily outstanding. You know, they they, they are a mid-table team, like you mentioned. They have they have nothing much to play about, so the motivation wasn't really there. But what really struck me was the, the fiery start that, that Chelsea had made. You know, they could have scored uh, two goals through, um, what was his name, the German striker? Timo Werner. Timo Werner, yeah, Timo Werner. Yeah, the, yeah. People do sort of like, yeah, he's a German striker. He, I, I believe he's a striker. He scores goals. What's his name? Timo exactly. Werner. You know, um, and and the, the the fact that that he, he missed both those chances, you know, you, you may have begin to think that uh, it wasn't going to be Chelsea's day. But right after that, you know, um, the goals kept pouring in, um, and and there was only going to be one winner, of course. And it was a landslide victory for Chelsea. What I think uh, was so important was. Not the fact that, you know, Chelsea got this much-deserved win, but it puts them in a right uh, mindset to face Real Madrid because that's another huge encounter that's looming just days away. Um, so, you know, this this victory uh, got everyone performing. I think everyone played their role really well. Um, but, you know, more importantly, it sets them up for to, to mount that fight back against uh, Madrid. Which we will come on to in a moment. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put something out there. I'm going to say Timo Werner will not be at Chelsea next season. Um, I don't see how they can just justify it. And um, I'll put money on Fulham. I'm going to say that, okay? Timo Werner to Fulham. 
it makes sense when you think about it. So uh, in a moment, though, we're going to talk about Champions League previews. We skipped one, by the way, one um, Premier League match, which was the uh, Leicester match. And it was so unimportant that I've actually forgotten who won and who lost. But uh, in a moment, we're going to talk Champions League. I- I'm disrespecting Leicester fans. Uh, they won. Here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. England's highest quality title race of all time, but coming out on top again in the Premier League, Manchester City. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on the final part of Off the Ball, and I have been uh, reprimanded by my uh, pundits. I, um, it was Leicester 2, uh, Crystal Palace 1. That was a surprise for me. But we also didn't talk about the uh, Newcastle United match. Uh, uh, Arvin, remind me. Newcastle, yeah, they defeated Wolves 1-0 over Friday night, Saturday morning. That's what happened. Okay, neither of those matches actually meant anything. But, uh, you know, well, good to see Leicester actually finally getting it together in their final season with uh, Brendan Rodgers. I uh, put it out there. It's, it, he'll be gone. He'll be gone. But I want to move on now to uh, Champions League. And uh, le- le- let's start with, uh, with you, Arvin, because it's uh, coming up is Real Madrid versus Chelsea. Real Madrid leading 3-1 on aggregate. There's no away goals counted anymore. Uh, well, I mean, if Chelsea managed to do a scoreline like 6-0, then they, they go through. But do you see them uh, achieving a 3-0 against uh, Real Madrid? I mean, I mean, anything can happen. I think Nick pointed out well that they've put themselves in the right frame of mind. Uh, there were Chelsea fans that were singing against Southampton and saying, are you Real Madrid in disguise? Because they, they feel like they're going to be able to overcome that that aggregate. Um, it's it's a, it's a statement win, that's for sure. Regardless of where Southampton are in the league, when you go away to another team and you win 16 in the manner that you do, it's a statement win. But Real were good over the weekend as well. I thought that they, they played really well against Gaddafi. They had the opportunity to rest Luka Modric and Tony Cruz completely. 90 minutes, they weren't, they weren't on the pitch. Kamavinga and Valverde looked so, so bright and they looked like they've got bundles of energy. So Chelsea will trouble Madrid and it's a Madrid that's missing Adam Militao, who's been one of the best defenders in, in La Liga. So they will trouble Madrid. But on the break, when, when Chelsea come at Madrid, when you look at what Vinicius can do and you look at what Champions League night seems to do for Karim Benzema is that I still feel it, it's too much of a mountain to climb for Chelsea for this one. Madrid to go through. Uh, but it'll be close, and I, I think Madrid will give them the respect that they deserve. You're a Real Madrid fan, uh, Arvin. Do you see them going all the way? I think with Madrid, you can never discount them up from the Champions League, but I think that they've got a tough time if they play City in the next round, which I'm sure we'll talk about City in Atletico because the way City play and the way Madrid play, City will deprave them of any type of any type of uh, possession. So that's going to be a tough one. But if it's Madrid against Atletico in the semis, then I fancy Madrid going all the way to the final, and then anything can happen from there. Do you remember that in, um, I think that movie Dark Knight Rises, you had a Bane who had this dialogue when he says, uh, you think you know darkness. I was born in it, molded in it. That's that's Real Madrid and the Champions League. <laughs> Every other team is just adopting it. Real Madrid, this is their tournament. It's the one tournament that no matter what their season is looking like, is the one tournament that they will always be up for. And they just seem to find, you know, every means possible to just activate their best mode. Uh, well, I don't have Sergio Ramos anymore, and he, he is, he truly is the darkness on uh, <laughs> on field. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently a very nice man, though. Hey, uh, Keisha, I actually want to come to you for this, for this one, because, uh, for the next one, which is, um, 
you actually warned us about this one. Bayern Munich versus Real Madrid. Real Madrid leading uh, 1-0 on aggregate. You told us to to not discount Real Madrid and not to believe too much of the hype with Bayern Munich. Do you feel vindicated? I, I think you mean Villarreal, right, Cam? Villarreal. What did I say? It's a Real Madrid. Oh, sorry, Villarreal. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but again... Um, Keeping it Real. Again, the, the first leg that we saw the other day was the perfect uh, breakdown of why this Bayern side can be got at. Why this Bayern side does have weakness at the back. And it's been pretty evident for anyone who has followed the Bundesliga this year that they have, that they've got so much of options going forward. But defensively, they're still finding their feet because that entire defensive setup has not had a consistent run of game this season, right? First and foremost, they lost Jerome Boateng. He left the club to join Lyon. Uh, David Alaba left to join Real Madrid. They had to bring in Diot Upamecano. There was that contract situation with Nicolas Sula, who has now agreed to join Borussia Dortmund. On top of that, you had Alfonso Davies, who was out with a bit of a heart condition for a prolonged period. So it's a it's a back four that has not had a stable, prolonged run for, for a few months. It's been chopping and changing. And that's why even in the Bundesliga, they've not been consistent. They've considered tons of goals in the league this year. My only concern about this tie camp is the fact that Villarreal kept it only 1-0. Because if you watch that game, they should have at the very least got another two more goals. It should have either been 3-0 or 4-0. And my problem is when you, when you smell blood with Bayern Munich and you don't get the job done, with another leg coming up next week, chances are that you're in for a really rough night. Because uh, Bayern are the kind of side under Julian Nagelsmann that they, they will slip up. But the moment they slip up, they respond ferociously in the following game, regardless of the opposition. They've done it in the Bundesliga. They did it in the previous round as well, where the first leg against Red Bull Salzburg, they started. And then second leg at home, they smashed seven goals past Salzburg. And, and just completely progress into the into the quarterfinals. So I fear a little bit for Villarreal. I still think they have the quality, but I fear for them because you know playing at the at the Allianz Arena is a whole different ball game altogether. Um, and it remains to be seen if Unai Emery can set up his team in a way where they just try to squeeze out a you know possibly even a nil nil draw to just get that victory over the line. So uh, Bayern Munich are not the darkness; they are jaws. Is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Or piranhas. Uh, okay, uh, so that one's still mm, evenly balanced, although, yeah, as uh, Keish said, Villarreal may be sorry for the fact that they only scored the one goal. Um, let's move on then, uh, Nicholas, to the following two matches, which involved, in turn, the two teams that we started this show with. Manchester City and Liverpool, when they were playing against each other, showed, I think, that they are probably the best two teams in Europe. But in the first match, Atletico Madrid versus Manchester City, with City having a three-goal to nil lead in, in aggregate. Atletico Madrid, I would have thought, would be the, a one possible team that could stop them with their what Des likes to call anti-football. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't see Atletico Madrid putting three or four past Manchester City. Do you? No, uh, but they've definitely got to be more adventurous. They've got to take more risk. Uh, they cannot play, you know, five. 5-0 formation um, like they did in the first league. Uh, that was, that was, um, that, that football was actually, I think, uh, worldwide criticized uh, because of the approach, you know. Um, while it was magnificent uh, defensively, you know, not allowing any space for, for, for City to try and uh, carve open chances, 
um, uh, they they did not create any chances for themselves, and they were more more than happy to just you know contain um, throughout. But now they are trailing, and so the whole dynamics of this match changes. They would have to go out. They would have to take risks. But you have to keep in mind that um, City based their football on you know winning back possession, and they have both the wing backs uh, which are constantly uh, pushing up uh, and creating chances from the side. So you know they could really hurt. Atletico at the final third. Um, this for me is Atletico's game now to go and chase, and they will have to do it from the first minute itself. They cannot play their typical football of wanting to sit because they are not defending and they have to chase this game. And I, I look to to players like Griezmann, Yao Felix. You know, these these two players have been the fulcrum of of what's good about Atletico. Uh, you know, um, up front, uh, but they have not showed it in excess this season. Uh, and it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see the likes of Griezmann. And Felix against uh, Kyle Walker and Cancelo, which are magnificent when they go up, but they also suspect uh, at times at the back. So uh, it's going to be a, a, a game of cat and mouse for me. But ultimately, I, I see City going through because they have a lead to protect, but at the same time, they're not going to sit back. They're going to be City. They're going to take the game to Atletico, and they're trying to go to. Uh, they're going to try and look for more goals. Yeah, it would be one of the greatest Champions League matches if Atletico Madrid managed to reverse that scoreline. <laughs> um, Arvin, let's let's move on to the final match, which uh, involves it's Liverpool versus Benfica in Liverpool, and Liverpool have a three-one aggregate lead. I, I find it very hard to believe that to think that Atletico Madrid could get get anything out of City. Perhaps Benfica. Ah, less less of an opportunity in my view. The only thing that might be going for them is the fact that Liverpool are. In sandwiched in between two very high intense games with Man City, they've got Man. They played Man City last night, and then they've got Man City in the FA Cup. This, I believe, it was the Saturday game. So that's the only thing. But now the Liverpool squad. Now, if you look at the strength of the squad, they've got more than enough to be able to rotate and to even give a run out to the likes of Luis Diaz and Roberto Firmino. If you looked at, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Man City being. Um, above and beyond when it comes to squad depth, all you needed to do was look at the benches that Man City and Liverpool had last night and you could see that Liverpool's bench had more quality and more established names than Man City. So for me, Liverpool, uh, this would be the biggest upset out of all the four games if somehow Benfica are able to turn it around. But for me, no. Liverpool have got have got their, their mindset on it. They will make the, the, the semi-finals and that'll be interesting if they go up against Bayern. But uh, now Benfica, will, will it'll be a very hard order for them to even, I even struggle to see them to score a goal at Anfield. So for me, Liverpool to go through. Okay, so, uh, I, I mean, surely those, those final two matches we're talking about, it's pretty clear, Kish. It'll be City and Liverpool getting through, probably Real Madrid. Bayern Munich, Villarreal still up for grabs, but... Could you could you spot an eventual winner out of those kind of three and a half, Kish? Um, it's 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 a tricky one, really. Um, I I for one has have always picked Liverpool as my favourites to win the Champions League this year, uh, because I feel that uh, compared to the last two three seasons uh, of Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp, I think this season they're a lot more ruthless and a lot more efficient. Uh, I, I can't name like a whole bunch of games in which Liverpool have just been um, overtly impressive 
um, with the eye test when you watch them, right? In the last two seasons, you can pick out multiple games in which they completely stood out. This year, they've just been ruthlessly efficient. I think the last 22 games, only one defeat. And if you look at a lot of those games, um, it's a lot of it is like 2-1, a lot of 3-1s, 3-2s. So they've been very ruthless, very efficient in those results. And I feel that when you have a momentum like that, um, you tend to do well in the Champions League. But I, I also wouldn't, genuinely wouldn't put it past Real Madrid. Like I said, it's it's one of those tournaments that 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 Real just seem to you know live up to their potential. And there's a lot of good vibes around around Real Madrid at the moment with Karim Benzema just being completely um, you know fluid. And and you look at this Real Madrid team and you think that it, it's got a bit of a it's got a bit of a last dance uh, vibe about it only because you can see this midfield being overhauled in the coming years, possibly even next season, right? And this could be the one final opportunity for them to win another continental crown. So, uh, I, I really wouldn't put it past Real Madrid, really. He's one of those teams that you just never, ever dismiss. Right. Okay. So, I think Arvind is uh, going for Real Madrid as the eventual winner. <laughs> the hard to say yes. Uh, okay. And I think that the opportunity is always there for Madrid to take it. But I just have a sense of feeling that that Man City will do it this year. I, I believe that when you lose a final, when you come back the next season, there's an added impetus for big teams. We saw that with Liverpool when they lost the Champions League final to Real Madrid. They came back and they won it again after that. So for me, um, Man City after losing last season where Pep overthought it, I think for me, Man City will do it this year. Okay, let's leave the last word with you then, Nicholas. Who's going to win the, the, the Champions League this year? Yeah, I'm with Irene on this. I think uh, Man City have a lot of... Um, a lot of frustrations, a lot of bitter disappointments from last year's final. And knowing the man that Pep is, you know, when he took his job in Man City, uh, one of the key driving factors was to win them that elusive, elusive uh, Champions League. Uh, they came so close last year, got denied by Chelsea. Um, and I think if you were to offer Pep the opportunity now, the chance to grab one of the titles, you know, be the EPL, between the EPL, uh, the FA Cup and the Champions League, it's a no-brainer which he would go for. So he's he's... Definitely, at the back of his mind, he's definitely paying special emphasis to the tournament. Even though he may not outright say it, you know, uh, winning winning the Champions League would, would really put City among the top uh, of the echelons of, of the best in Europe. And I think they have yet to reach that level, just like PSG, you know. Um, if they are able to do this uh, in, in this pool of clubs, uh, which, which are mainly uh, comprised of uh, European winners, then it would be an, an unforgettable season for them. For a moment there, I thought you were suggesting that uh, Pep was going to throw everything away just to win the FA Cup, but uh, which which I think he should do. Uh, show some respect to the FA Cup, which which we'll be talking about next week. So uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Uh, Producer Daryl has put his picture on, which tells us we got to go. And uh, only thanks arranged uh, me to thank Kishan and Sundaresan. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the week. Arvin Sidhu. Thank you, everyone. Rock and roll. Nicholas Anil. Thanks, Cam. Have a good week, everyone. And thank you from me, Cam Raslan. And see you on Friday. But for now, it's Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.